0: everybody. This is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to Recovery is Possible. And really appreciate you joining us here today. And this episode of Recovery is Possible was brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, where there are endless possibilities for recovery. Retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers, which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to their needs. Retreat substance use and mental health treatment centers in Palm Beach County, Florida, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and New Haven, Connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. Reach out today at retreatbehavioralhealth.com or call at 855 802 zero zero for more information and today i want to bring on our guest Ann Tatus, and ann and i have some mutual interests uh, out in the community and we do work outside of recovery to help the community in, in a lot of ways but really particularly in recovery and mental health and and helping people get well and promote programs to help people get well and we met at an event uh a few months ago, got to know one another and really got into some conversations about uh, recovery because it turns out that we're both in recovery and she had a very compelling story and I thought that she should come on to this program and share her story with all of you because as we know, it's through our experience, strength and hope that we help one another. And and so with that, uh, I want to bring Ann on to the program and Ann, thanks for coming on to the show today.
1: It is wonderful to be on. How are you doing today?
0: Doing good, and I've—I know you and I have talked about doing this interview for some time, and I've not heard your story beginning to end. So I'm excited to hear about that, and uh, and hear you know really because and you know and I know that you you've run into this as well when I go to recovery meetings or in treatment. Um, when I I work in a detox center right now. all I hear about are the problems. You know, I'll ask patients, you know, why are you here? They talk about, well, this happened to me. I got divorced. I got, you know, lost my job, whatever the case may be. And I always tell the patients, no, you're here because you're an alcoholic or you're an addict, and that's a very Mm -hmm. serious disease. But they always focus on the problem that brought them there. But what I'm interested in hearing about, and I want to hear from you, is what's the solution? So tell us a bit about yourself and and what brought you here today.
1: Well, um I'm one of the, I'm not, you know, I I have friends that, and I've a lot of people in recovery that were long-term addicts. Uh, You know, I'm on the other spectrum where I went from completely successful stockbroker, you know, in my twenties. I mean, I went to rock bottom in in less than a year. Um, And, you know, and uh, it was shocking, you know, to me, to my family, Um, but coming from a family who thought that they would, um, love me from now on, they would have loved me to death, you know, had part of my story not been being arrested, um, for prescription fraud. Um, and so I ended up, um, you know, addicted to pills. Um, and, you know, and it was, you know, 15 years ago. Um, when the opioid epidemic was, you know, still a myth and, uh, you know, and so I was arrested and I got into one of these, you know, the first time offenders program and I was so disconnected with how law works. I was so, you know, just, I was so deep in it that never showed up to anything, you know, I ended up getting pulled over and I had a warrant out and locked up and i was in such bad condition that the judge um judge rockwell in Tusterfield county who had seen me the first time as soon as he saw me when i was you know brought up and he was like he at you know i was not married at the time he said miss crash and he was like you have such a beautiful mind you're so educated i see so much potential in you that i could you know, um, you know, give you another chance. And he was like, but if I do that, I'm going to, um, you know, not allow you to become the person that I believe that you were meant to be. And of course then I was like, just give me the other chance, which would have killed me. And, um, the retrospect now, looking back it makes me cry to think that, um, you know, people like that, uh, saved my life. Um, so uh, I got lot he said we're gonna I'm gonna give you a week in Riverside Regional um and let you clear your mind which meant get clean which uh you know I tell people a lot um you know opiate withdrawal will not kill you um it's it it's horrible um but I sweated it out I was sick in a jail cell for a week and um I didn't have to take any maintenance, anything. And I went back, you know, a week later and my lawyer saw the same potential in me too. And he encouraged me to take it, to do going into drug court. And I don't know if you know, drug court, um, in Chesterfield County, um, the graduation rate is pretty slim, but that's because it, it is such an amazing program and you start out on house arrest. Um, You have to fill out a calendar. I mean, they have you have to account for. And I say house arrest. It's not like an anklet or anything like that. It's you know they can come by your house. You sign over all of your rights, search and seizure. They can come in your house at any time a day, but you sign all that over. Um, And you fill out a calendar. And life is hard. I mean, I'm t- <laughs> you are. I was living in the city of Richmond at the time. And so I had to come out to Chesterfield County, uh, four days a week to by 7:30 in the morning to do uh, a drug test, urine analysis. Um, you have to do, you know, therapy one-on-one with their clinicians and you have to do group therapy and you have to do MRT, um, which is, you know, um, like a round table with your peers and then your drug court um, probation officer, and you go through this book, and it's essentially teaching you how to like build life, like how many hours a day was one of the exercises that sticks out in my mind there are, and what you do with those hours in a day. And it it's teaching, it was like teaching you how much life is wasted, uh, whether it's watching TV or. And you have to give um, testimonies and you have to literally in order to like pass this to you have to own all of your stuff. Like your your peers, you leave the room after you give your testimony and your peers and your probation officer, you know, vote whether you've accepted your part in it enough. Um, and I was extremely resistant at first, uh, you know it, I was, it's not that big of a deal. It's not just, it was just pills. You know, I wasn't shooting up in a motel. You know, I just could not grasp like my own actions. Um, and it was a tough road. Um, and then with 90 days clean, um, I found out that I was pregnant, which complicated, uh, I say complicated, but my God's blessing to me because I don't know if I would have survived it with my now, I look at her as my, my, my miracle. It literally saved my life. Um, so uh, you move phases and um, two and a half years. And it, there were people that were, had been in there um, four or five years. Um, I mean, it, it, and it, as you move phases, you get your rights back. So um, off house arrest. Um, and then, you know, and in the meantime, which is a key to thing is that in the midst of all this, you're calling colors and you have to work 30 hours a week, turn in your slip, your paycheck, you know, and, um, they can come to your work. So finding a job taught, me, you know, where you have to be upfront, honest about what, um, was hard but I found the perfect job. I mean, it ended up also shaping who I was. So, I mean, adding that into it, the responsibility of you have to be a responsible, you know, contributing citizen, um, you have to work. And these programs are just amazing. And, you know, so throughout, and then I ended up, you know, having a child and a newborn as a single mother with all of this stuff going on. and just taught me, like, no matter how hard life gets or no matter what life throws at you, you can manage it and you can manage it clean, um, you know, and 15 years later, I mean, I applied every single day, um, you know, what I've learned. And I, I, I when I'm doing what I do, um, besides being a mother, I'm constantly using, like, telling people like things like, is your side of the street clean? And um, I say, keep your side of the street clean and that's all you're responsible for. Who what, Their side of the street is not your responsibility. And another one I use a lot is, you know, you're responsible for the effort and not the outcome. So, it, you know, it different applications throughout life or throughout what I do now, 15 years later. Um, it Recovery is just... It's something that I have always, despite, you know, my parents at uh, one, why are you, you know, because they don't want, you know, that the stigma of, um, be, and they've accepted it now, um, that I'm going to tell my story and there's not one bit of me that's ashamed of it because I believe that it it's part of my armor that God built for me. Um, And is that we all have, you know, is that I tell people is I live my life in the light and I am what I am. Uh, Take it or leave it because what doesn't live in the light festers in the dark, which is, you know, something else. And that became part of who I am. I mean, is that this is what you get because the second that you start compromising and things start going back into the darkness, is when you start allowing the demon of addiction back into your life. It may not be drugs at first, but um, it's the behaviors that come along that add. It's not just the drugs. I tell people a lot is that, you know, uh, understanding the behaviors or um, the little things that you compromise your values on that when you crack that door before you know it, it's swung wide open when, especially when you're, you know, get a couple of years under your belt is that, you know, there's certain foundations of recovery and long-term recovery, especially um, that you have got to have that foundation of um, being unwavering about because, I mean, I've cracked the door a couple of times and I've come really close to making really big mistakes. And I learned along the way that, um, you know, there's just certain things that you just cannot crack that door open. But I tell you know a lot. So many people reach out to me that you know for some reason or another have no idea my story um, about you know addiction. And when they find out, whether they've got 30 days or 90 days, um, as I tell them, and I'm like, I know it. It's horrible right now. I know that it seems. It makes me cry. Like I know it seems so hopeless right now. But um there is so much beauty in this world. And um, I tell them all the time, I'm like, just hold on tight and I'll be there for you. But, you know, I look back 15 years and I can't even believe this much time has gone by. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, I just look at my life, how beautiful it is and how blessed I am Um, to have what I have. And I have two beautiful children and a husband that loves me and to be involved in what I'm involved in. um, And, people don't look at me um you know and see that and it's it's shocking to people um a lot of times when they find out and I'm like I'm like why why is that shot like we all are flawed humans we are all um you know none of us are perfect um and but I mean you know I t- is that there is so much beauty and um Recovery is an amazing thing and it is a hard process, but, um, you know, the community is, you know, and what you do is amazing. And being a voice, because if my story was just that, to be kept hidden in a closet or put away and never talked about again, it it means I went through it for nothing. You know, and I don't believe that any of us go through our struggles or our, you know, trials in life um, and to not spread the survival as hope. And, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's just so much beauty in this world that addiction just, I mean, I can I'm just sitting here and I'm just, I can remember, uh, how hopeless and it just, it just drives you darker into the hole. Um, and even seeing, you know, a crack of light when you're that deep into it is impossible. Um, you know, and but there's just, there's so much beauty in this world and life is so wonderful. And I just feel blessed that God gave me a second chance. And, um, you know, and, and I hope that what I do every day is that I carry that, you know, that message in one form or another um, for this generation, for my, for, you know, for everybody. Um, and it may not be, you know, re- recovery or addiction related, but in my heart and in my mind, is that it, it's all interrelated. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, even when I got to ten years, I was like, "Whoa, it's been ten years!" And now it's been fifteen years. I'm like, "Like, God, how wonderful! Like, yeah. is, is God? How wonderful is all of this? I mean, it's um, it's amazing."
0: You know, you you hit some really good points too, and that is let, let me just kind of backtrack. Uh, a little bit. And by the way, congratulations on 15 years. Um, Thank you know, you. one of the things that I know you and I have talked about offline, and a lot, particularly newcomers, this idea of stigma and shame, it, it's really prevalent amongst you know the the new people that come in, and I know the patients that I, I work with. That's something that they really struggle with is this this idea of shame and stigma. And I always point out that a couple of things about that. Number one, um. Number one, I have not met anybody out there that doesn't know somebody that has an addiction issue. So this is really an issue. And there aren't many issues on planet Earth where you can say this issue affects everybody. And addiction is one of those issues. And it may not be a chemical addiction. It might be a process addiction like gambling, sex, um, overeating, undereating, gaming. That's a, a new thing that has come forward. And so everybody experiences it. And then what happens is, um, people will then downplay the addiction in order for it to not sound so bad to them. And I think part of that is the addiction trying to protect itself because this is the only disease that tells you that you don't have it and then tries to protect itself. And I'll give probably the most common example is when I say to someone, you know, what What brought you here? And they will say, well, I came here because my wife doesn't like my drinking um, because I'm a functional alcoholic. And I'll say... Well, that's interesting. You know, so you're a functional alcoholic. Yeah, I'm a functional alcoholic. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, um, I, I go to, I haven't lost my job. You know, I so I go to work, and I and I'll say, well, oh, okay. So if your wife was sitting here right now, I would have uh, your. I would say to your wife, "Hey, don't worry, Bob. Here, uh, this is all under control because Bob here is not really an alcoholic. He's a functional alcoholic. So uh, there's nothing here for you to worry about." And I'll look at the wife, and she'll look at me and go, "Are you crazy? His life is an absolute mess. Uh, he, yeah, it's shocking. He still has a job." And those are on the days that he goes in, or isn't late, or you know, all the you know the productivity is down, and on and on and on. And the the reason why people downplay that is because we don't want to just admit that it is as bad as it is. And that's and part of that is the stigma. So it's it's the disease protecting itself, and then the stigma. And like you you talked about, you know, things that are in the dark. Um, are going to tend you know mushrooms you know grow in the dark and we got to put light on on that you know we got to put light on our addiction so we get well and um, is that something that that you've noticed as well that people just you know in our own minds we uh, it it seems like more people would get help if there was less stigma around the idea of of getting help does that does that make sense and do you agree with that.
1: Yes. I mean, I work in the community. I mean, it's what I do 16 hours a day and it's not the like the front runner of like the opening conversation, but you know, I would say nine times out of 10, someone sometime when I'm speaking or with whatever I'm doing is that it, it does become part of uh, the conversation and I do offer it up and I cannot tell you how many people, um, I see in an audience or in a conversation or on a chat thread or whatever I'm doing um, that whether it's a parent or someone going through it or somebody who has a relative or, you know, that they thank me. And um, is you break down the stigma is that it is, you know, it is something that everybody goes through traumatic events in life um, in one form or the other. And it makes us who we are. And it's um, and it's nothing to be ashamed of, especially when it's something that you overcome and it's giving you power. Um, and if I don't if I don't share you know, the experience, strength and hope with other people, um, then, it, you know, it I, I am still kind of living in the addict mentality of um, hiding things. Um, and, but it, it's beautiful every day, you know, I, I would say probably it's not every day. I mean, a couple times a week that in, somebody reaches out, um, and thanks me or asks me for, you know, advice or, um, you know, is that and it, it, I, some people are not comfortable enough and it's just not in their human nature to be upfront about it. And nobody, I, I, not, many people will not be as public about it. But I think it's also within ourselves is the acceptance that um, we are who we are, and we've made our mistakes, and we leave them in the past, and we don't dwell. But we also don't hide, and we don't we don't shame away from them either. Um, if the topic were to come up. You know, um, because it's so liberating, it's so freeing too. is is especially when you start to see the looks on people's faces and people that human nature would tell us would maybe like like shame you or judge you. And that will happen. But that's that's for them and their higher power to deal with. Um, But the return that I get um, in my approach, which was radical uh, to most people and being upfront and honest about who I am, you know, 10, 15, I mean, 10 years ago, especially when I really was out of drug court, I was a mother, I was, you know, becoming, you know, a productive member of society again, Um, is whether it was in a, you know, kindergarten mom group, um, is that I'm not going to pretend to be somebody and not have a story. And, um, you take me as I am, or you don't take me at all. Um, and I can, is that the amount of people that have embraced it versus the minimal amount of people who it became some, I became somebody that they did not want to associate with. I mean, it's just, it was a, it's a fraction of, um, the people that, Because they all, whether you said, like in one form, or there's so many forms of addiction that, I mean, I I would find it hard to believe anybody that a message of hope in any type of addiction and recovery um, did not resonate with somebody, you know, in a conversation or in the people that you associate with every day.
0: Yeah, and... What people have to understand too, the, the the relapse rate is so high, it it just yes. is. And I, one of the things I I learned, like in my own life, and later when I did my internship, you know, uh, while I was working on this degree that I'm working on, or, or that I just completed rather, uh, I you know, but during that internship, I was working with the pilots, um, airline pilots, and you know, they were under like these strict guidelines from the FAA where they could not use... I mean, being in a 12-step program and being in treatment was not an option. If you wanted to continue being a pilot, then you had to be a part of this program. And I found that that was very effective because like, I know in my own life, when I went and I raised my hand to get help, I was really on the radar by, you know, my employer. And the, it was like strict monitoring. You know, we're going to r- random your analysis. You know, just really watching me very, very closely. And it, I remember at the time, I kind of resented that. I, I didn't like the amount of attention that I, I was getting but looking back on it it was probably a saving grace because it, it kind of put a hammer over me and I, I the pilots were the same way you know the attitude from the FAA was um, you don't you know you don't have to go through this program you don't have to go through all this but you also don't have to fly either but if you want to fly then you got to go through this program and with them it was two years you, you're going to be monitored for two years but guess what The like 98% of the pilots after two years, even when they're not monitored anymore, go, you know what? My life is so much better after two years. I think I'm just going to continue with this lifestyle. So with all the groups that we had, they had the highest success rate of any of the groups in the treatment facility that I was working at, highest success rate. And I think that there's something to be said about having that monitoring like you did with, with drug court. Um, where it wasn't just on your own because early recovery is tough. It is because your body is changing physiologically. The neuropathways are reforming. Um, you know, many, many people are malnourished and they got to get the, you know, B series of vitamins up, serotonin levels up, GABA levels up. And, and then on top of that, you're, you're dealing with whatever wreckage you created, you know, with just your use in the first place. And that's a tall order for most people to get through on their own. Would you would you agree with that, or what are your thoughts?
1: Into what in my life had brought me to that point, and it, you, know, um, was, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I you know, I've always people that did it bare knuckled on their own um, without all of those resources um, is you know that's why. And unfortunately, when you especially when you're dealing with like opiates or heroin is, um, but especially heroin, you know, I can't tell you in like my first two years um, because the heroin relapse because um, on that one, I'm just going to do one more, one more trip out, you know, one more. And that one more um, is the one that killed them. Uh, I, I think in my first two years, um, in the, you know, it was 15 people and, um but you know, is those the, those are the people? They also learn too. Is those are the people that go to meeting like four if they have to? That's what they have to do. You know, four meetings a day um, to go and to get that support. Um, but if you, it's like <laughs> you know, if you want it bad and think about you know how I tell, remember is think about how when you wanted your drug like your how hard you went after it to get it. Um, Is that the same mentality that you have to have when you want to stay clean is As hard as you wanted to go get your drug When you have that itch or what you have to go out and find what you need as hard as you went to go find that drug um, You have to go find with the same um, passion and obsession on that, you know, is that you have to go find what is going to satisfy it um, to make yourself feel better, but not on a high level this time, but on a like spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever it is that's making. And I I mean, it's, I still get the itch. like is when the devil comes in and I start, you know, I just want to check out. I just want life is, you know, because it happens to everybody. Um, But having, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't come home and have a drink after what I do or I don't have is that you have to find other, you know, vehicles, other mechanisms, um, to, and, you know, and for me, it's been not so much seeking out help, but offering it to others is where I've really started to make strides and those needs or that itch becoming less and less is the more of myself that I offer. Um, the because I get back from them as much as, as you know, I give them, um, is, and that's really where I've started is that, you know, spread, spreading the hope and freely offering it up um, is where I have found that uh, I have started to actually beat it more than I was when I was, you know, looking for help for myself, Um, just myself, is when I started to um, offer it freely for others. But, you know, you have to build, um, and if you don't already like these programs that we talk about, if you don't have one forced on you, um, because that's where the, (laughs) I, I mean, I Chesterfield County police they patrol my neighborhood and my daughters are like mom why are you talking to the police again and I do I wave them down and I thank them (laughs) and they're like I don't know if I've ever had anybody pull me over to thank me for uh, harassing them but uh, I mean it it makes them you know you think about how hard it is to be a police officer and how hated you are or whatever Um, but you know it's um, that, you know, thanking the people that arrested me and, you know, thanking the judicial system. But if you don't have that forced, um, wonderful system, whether you think it's wonderful or not in the beginning, um, if you know, freely at your you know, disposal, then you, you have to build it yourself. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's essential because anybody I think that thinks that they can do it alone um you know i i, I just I, it's it's hard for me to fathom um long there's long not long a high recovery.
0: success rate with that i can tell you um no people and, doing I mean, it on I their own not you. a real Before high success rate
1: how many times i was like i'm just gonna see yeah, i can 12 hours 30, 36 hours maybe like um it because what i mean in addiction you're already like in, in your own like you're already alone whether you are phys- you know actually like physically but i mean you're in a place that's the darkest deepest place ever and to imagine pulling yourself out of that alone um it, i mean it's i mean it i it, in in my experience is it it's it's near impossible um and so there, I mean, that's why the community and doing things like this and us talking about it openly and you know, both of us, um, you know, with, you know, what we do out in life is um, but, you know, not being ashamed and talking about it on a podcast and um, telling people that, you know, that, you know, that's carrying the message that's giving somebody who's listening, who might be hanging on to that last thread before they go make, um, you know, a mistake or something is that, um, it's so important and especially in this day and age, um, people are more accepting and more, you know, responsive to the honesty and the, um, you know, owning who you are, um, than 10 years ago. And I think that it really sets an environment for where the, the direction, of how recovery and how addiction and, um, and how addicts themselves, um, you know, are perceived and it gives everybody, I I mean, the people that I've come across and from what I do is, um, it's really positioned, um, it to be a place of hope versus one to be judged by.
0: Yeah, because again, everywhere I go, when I start when I talk about my story, some invariably, somebody will come up to me and say, "Hey, I need to talk to you about a loved one. In fact, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I have someone that just reached out to me as I'm sitting here, saying, I need to talk to you about, you know, a loved one of mine, it, it's it's everywhere, it's, it's prevalent, and it's only yeah. getting worse, you know, particularly with the um, opiate epidemic that we're going through right now, particularly with fentanyl, and I'll tell you, if, uh, I, I know everybody in the public realizes that fentanyl is bad, it's, it's permeated our society, but I will tell you, it's actually worse than most people realize, and it's bad. It is, it is really, very bad. It, I work it, it, in a detox center right now. Uh, the same detox center I'm working in right now, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been all alcohol, maybe some cocaine, heroin every once yes. in a while. It mm-hmm. is all like when we have patients that come in just for alcohol, it's actually kind of surprising to us because it's we're just not used to that now. <laughs> we're just so used to so much fentanyl right. coming across that when somebody comes in, oh I just drink, and we're like, Well, what else do you do? Nothing. I just drink. And we're like Really? Yeah, that's that's
1: unusual. That's the scary part about fentanyl. So (laughs) you know, you know, when I started using, you know, in the early two thousands, you know, pills weren't even, you know, that it had just started to, and then that's when it hit its boom, and um, that's when doctors were giving out, you know, two hundred, you know, pills, and you could get three refills. I mean, and you know, so when that crackdown came. And all of the limitations on, um, um, is then it was back to like street heroin and is because, and so people had to get it somewhere. And if you couldn't get it from a doctor or a hospital or a pharmacy, then that's really when, you know, the fentanyl and, um, and th- that, that's when it got really scary. And because, um, that stuff will kill you. And I mean, it, it's, it's bad. Like you said, and, um, everybody who goes out and buys whatever they buy, um, you have no clue what, how much is cut in, how much it's worth. I mean, is that the fentanyl it, it is, um, and I, I can remember, uh, I was in labor in drug court, you know, I had just had a year clean and, um, did not know that, um, epidural, but it's soon not. And so I can remember laying there and as soon as they gave me the epidural, I had that warm, fuzzy, you know, itchy feeling. And I, I started, I mean, panicking, like to screaming at my mom to call my, my probation officer. And I looked up at the bag and it said fentanyl. On it. And I was just absolutely flipping out because I just was not had not prepared myself um, to feel that again. And, you know, and so that's another thing is over the last 15 years, I've had multiple surgeries. I mean, major surgeries. And, you know, you know, but telling people is and getting the minimal amount of medication because there was probably I think the first eight years I was clean. I never held on to anything myself. My mother, um, you know, because my husband was deployed a lot, um, you know, is that never did I ever hold on to anything myself. Um, And but yeah, I mean, especially you know, in recovery is being if you're going to have a procedure, um, you know, making as many people aware as you feel comfortable. Um, and no matter how many years that you have, like even now, if I was if 15 years, if I was going to have to have another surgery is everybody in my family would know. And I would, I mean, everybody would know, everybody would know how many, you know, pills that I had how many, um, because I'm in pain it says take one every so-and-so, but it's only two hours later and I'm still in pain. Uh, is that it's so easy for, and then, then you get on this slippery slope and it's a quick way down. Um, but yeah, I mean the fentanyl, I mean, and like you said, so when I entered drug court, it was pretty much all prescription medications. Um, there was a little bit it was mainly heroin and pills. Um, we actually had two marijuana addicts and, um, but, and she had been saying that um, my probation officer that a couple of years ago, you know, it was crack, it was cocaine. It was, um, and then when I spoke with her um, last year, she said that, I mean the pill thing has pretty much because it, they're so hard to access is that now there's the, I mean, it it's heroin it's um it's fentanyl it's um and yeah. That, yeah um but i mean it's so hard to get i mean but i was also in recovery when like i said when doctors were giving them out like you could go in with a toothache and it, i mean they were just i mean just you could get them anytime anywhere any doctor i mean um but yeah, and uh, so, but now it's it's so hard to get them. Is that that's why you're finding like the heroin and the fentanyl? Um, I mean, it, it, it the rates are just it's a completely different environment, or it's a completely different sales market, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but fentanyl is no joke. I mean, it is. Um, I mean, it is like death waiting to happen, especially if you were to re- if, if if you get clean and then relapse.
0: And the thing about fentanyl is you don't even have to go looking for it now we have a number of patients that come into the detox center that swear up and down they didn't go looking for fentanyl they were using something else and that something else was laced with fentanyl and the next yeah. thing they know they're mm-hmm. in the emergency room and that's what's yep. scary about it is it's everywhere and the young kids are telling us they're like mike you don't you don't understand i fentanyl is everywhere in my neighborhood mm-hmm. it is everywhere in my school and i'm telling you the public does not grasp really how bad this is it's really bad
1: yeah it is i mean when i mean children i mean it's hard for me to ima- i mean when you hear about you know ecstasy parties in middle school um you know it's the street drugs now, you know also that have you know made the rise again the, the things that people can you know cook up and create and that you have no clue what's in them um but it's hard for me to imagine because, I, you know, I have um, a a teen, an early tween teenager. Um, that, you know, children. I mean, that that's it's it's just, you know, it, that that they're having these, or, or they have like parties where they bring whatever they find at their house and they dump them in a bowl and um, it, and it's it's um, yeah, I, I mean, it's you know, we, we take strides and I think that we start to make progress in one area and then something else pops up on the, you know, another shelf and it is like playing whack-a-mole at some point. Um, you know, but I mean, yeah. But, um, but, but there was, I didn't even know what it was. There was one person in recovery in drug court with me and he, now this came from like fentanyl. You have to think like, Cancer patients, like lo- the, the lollipops, like is what I think about, um, you know, cancer patients and people that are, and so that's my experience of fentanyl. These are like, you know, hospice. These are, these are people that are, that, that's what, it's not, a, it's not morphine. It's not, I mean, that that's how strong fentanyl is, is that um, it is, uh, I mean, for people like dying of cancer. Um, it, but yeah, it's what you, is that fentanyl and this has a lot to do with um, where it's coming from across the border. And um, is that's what, you know, is that it when you're not just buying heroin, you're buying. I mean, I, I read a study and I talked to my old drug court officer um, that used to come to like and look through our stuff in our houses. And he was saying that, you know, when they do their evaluations from, you know, whatever they acquire when they do bust or stuff is and he's like, it's in it. I mean, it's in it everywhere. It's um, it's it's like a common. It, it's that I don't think that I run into any analysis of what we find on the street that does not have it in some form or another.
0: Wow, that that is that is insane. It really is, and we, we've got to do something about it because the addiction is tough, and the drugs that that we're coming across right now are designed to target the recesses of your brain. I mean, these are synthetic drugs. They were designed in a lab to actually hijack your brain. And mm-hmm. um, getting people clean off of cocaine and, and alcohol is hard enough. But man, when you're dealing with uh, a fentanyl addict, it's it's incredible because they. I've I've had young people sit and tell me, like they would give me a college master's level description of the drug. I mean, they've researched it. It's not like mm-hmm. these kids don't know what they're doing. They've done extensive the research on it. Websites too yeah.
1: that are out there, like Reddit. I mean, but you can. I mean, you. I mean, it's astonishing to me um, the amount of information that you can find um, on the internet about this stuff. And um,
0: I mean, it, but yet they go I mean, out and they, they'll tell you why it's bad, why they shouldn't do it, and then they walk right out the door and they do it again. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful no, it in is. The,
1: like. I think about how many times that I, you know, no, even, you know, I may have had, now this is before drug court. Um, Cause another thing about drug court is so house arrest. Like if, if you were, if they were to find out you broke house arrest, which, which is something as simple as stopping to buy, say a soda, which is not on, like if you left the drug court building to go to work and you stopped on the way to work and did not call and tell them that, so you had to stop and buy a pack of cigarettes, or something, that's breaking house arrest. And if they found out six months later, so don't talk about accountability. Um, and I mean, it's a, because I tell people, we are all accountable for our actions. And when you say you're going to be somewhere or do something, um, it, you know, so account- is that six months later, they can find out that you broke house arrest, and they don't care how much time has lo- gone by um you're going to be accountable for that action um but yeah I mean it's um there's so I mean there's so many programs and it, it, it's it's you know when I hear about people um that you know are going through it alone or um you know I've had <laughs> I've, I in the beginning I my mother was like I was, like, oh, so and so, I would get sending phone calls and I was like, mom, I'm so new to recovery. I cannot be a recovery go to. Like, because I was such a success case, especially considering I got pregnant with 90 days clean. Um, I can remember Judge Rockwell on my graduation from drug court, he said, Ms. Graft, and he said, I will say this, is that I did not think that you would do this, nor did I ever <laughs> think that you would do this in the amount of, because I graduated in the least, I was the the, the, say hot mess. I was like the hottest mess going in. And then I got pregnant, but then at my resolve to be not a good mother, but to be like, like a mother that, and then I found out having a daughter, like a mother that a daughter would be proud of, um, Mm. is when I really dug my heels in. And I didn't just wait for it to be offered up to me. Um, you know, I, I asked for more, you know, I had domestic violence in my past, uh, sexual abuse. Um, so I sought out more help, um, than was even offered to me because, um, you know, I wanted a different life. And when you have, you start to understand what it takes to actually have a different life, um, it's in one of my favorite that I use is if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. And that's probably the phrase that resonates with me now every single day is that if you want a different life that you've never seen in your own life, or you've seen a life, you have to, you have to do something completely different than what you've ever done. And that, and um, it's like, Putting your um, your pants on, you know the pattern that you're used to, um, instead of doing left and right, retraining your brain to do right then left. Like you have to do something different, um, you know. And it's, um, but I mean, it is, you know, it is. I mean, it's because cra- I can remember like white knuckling it, like day by day. You know, they say every minute, every hour. A day goes by, and I can remember those minutes and those hours. And you know, the even at two years, I can remember being like, "God, am I ever going to get away?" And then I blinked, and because I dug in so hard and I wanted it so bad that I and I blinked, and at ten years, I was like, "Wow!" And then I (laughs) blinked again, and it was fifteen. And you know, every day, it's not a constant reminder. Like I'm not. It's not the. It doesn't make me who I am. It's just a part of who I am now.
0: Yeah, um, I think that a lot of newcomers into recovery, they they kind of think that the 12-step programs are very – cult. I hear that all the time from new patients. You know, it's funny. It's always patients that aren't sober. They always say, yeah, I'm not into that program that you're into because it's kind of cultish. And I think that the reason why it has that reputation is because, you know, when you're in recovery like we are, it's a big part of your life. You know, you know, it's, <laughs> we talk about it so much. And, and some of the other activities in my life I'm involved in, I actually have had people pull me aside and say, you know, you're known as the addictions guy. It's like, that's all you ever talk about. And um, I don't know that that's true. I do actually talk about other things, but it's a lot of what I talk about. But I don't think that people understand that when you get into recovery, you kind of have to be that way. Um, I keep my you know, I'm at you know about eleven years right now, and it's something that I have to keep at the center of my life. But that's but right. that's also why I'm at eleven years is because uh, you yeah. know after many many relapses, I you know I just determined, like you just said, I I really wanted this. I decided I wanted it, and I was going to do anything um, I needed to to do to get it. And part of that is just uh, making it the center of your. It's what I think about when I get up, and it's what I think about when I go to bed. But that's why I yeah I mean, I've working eleven the years.
1: Steps- you know, and when people say it's cultish, um, you know, is that that in itself is that um, they're resistant to not wanting to do the work um, and you have to do the work um, and it's finding not just a sponsor, but like a sponsor that's going to make you work um, and, you know. But there is, there, there did, you know, I, I do still go to meetings. It, it's not part of my regular, but, um, there, there did, there was a point, um, to where, and you have to also recognize, too, good meetings versus not good meetings. Is, um, there are certain places where you just have people going on kind of to meet people that don't really want recovery. And, if you want recovery, those, I mean, it, it telling is acknowledging to yourself that this is not a safe place either. Um, and there's so many meetings, um, that you'll, you'll find the ones where the real recovery is versus, you know, the, you know, just a meeting. Um, because going to meetings in the beginning too, getting slip signed, that kind of thing was part of it. And even after, so after you move, I think phase three, Um, you don't have to go anymore. Um, and, but you know, I continue and what I found, especially and I encourage, I mean, because I met my daughter's father in the rooms, (laughs) which is why they say don't do that. But, um, with especially newly clean people, um, is, you know, women's meeting, um, and here in Richmond, uh, the women's meeting down, um, downtown is not amazing is, um, you know, because for a lot of us, um, you know, the sex, sex addiction and the drug addiction, I mean, it all go hands goes hand in hand, um, you know, is, and, but going to, because you just want a, you know, escape from whatever. And so when you get clean from drugs, if you're in a room of, um, you know, you know, someone with with your co-ed or in opposite sex, um, you know, it is an easy replacement. And I, I, so my, one of my first things, especially uh, when I talk to women is to find a women's meeting Uh, because a lot of the issues that, you know, that I found that lead, women to recovery is abuse of one, one form or another. And it's very hard to go. And that was, I mean, the foundation, I mean, from child sex abuse to, which led to domestic violence and I mean, to drugs to escape all of it. Um, And so it's hard to talk about the things that actually, you know, um, led you to the path that ended you up where you were, um, are hard to talk about in certain environments. And so finding that you know, that group of, you know, and especially, you know, and men too, is, um, you know, talking about the things that are really, really important and sharing the things that are deep in your gut and in your soul, um, you know, it can it can be hard uh, in a mixed environment. And so, you know, I really, that's another is that finding um, women's meetings that you can talk about. Um, and I can tell you that, the one that I went to is that there was, I mean, part of all of our stories was some sort of abuse or the other, um, which never would have been talked about, you know, usually in, you know, a mixed environment.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you just you just keep going to meetings until you find the, the right group of people. And, uh, you know, Anne, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. And, you know, if if somebody... Wanted to get hold of you. Uh, is there a way that they can get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. Um. So my email is um. It's vp. Um, dot va for children first at gmail.com Or um, I mean, they can always reach out to you, and um, you're more than welcome to pass along mm-hmm. my information. But I mean, part of what I I mean, I'm on the phone with you know parents or members of the community and what I do all day every day and it it, it is um, like today it's like it's a reminder of where I came from and who I am um, and it's something that um, when I have a different topic than you know what I usually do every day all day long um, and you know being able to you know advocate for something different than what i usually do um is it's welcoming and um you know is it like i said is that if i don't share it um then i i went through it for nothing um so you know anybody wants you know to contact me a parent especially that has a child um i deal a lot with um parents um of children and um that's another important aspect is I encourage all parents to go to, um, you know, an Al-Anon um, yeah. or, you know, some. So, and another, you know, is um, the relationship, you know, the anonymous. Um, I'm having a, I, I went to the, um, what is it called? I'm not gamblers, anonymous, but, you know, like, so people Co-dependency? like relationships anonymous? Yes, codependent. Yes. yeah. I went to that for a long time because whether it was familial or in my, it was, I was extremely codependent on men and relationships and the fact that I had just had a daughter um, and I did not want those kind of men in my life um, or in my daughter's life. If I ever chose to marry is that also helped me become the woman and the mother that when I finally was ready to start, you know, dating again, this type of man that I found and married and fell in love with was the complete opposite of what I had done my entire life. Um, and that was from seeking out sources like, um, codependence anonymous and, um, talking about like, because, you know, codependency is an addiction too. Um, so, you know, I would, but I would, I would encourage parents and I tell them a lot too, is that there are meetings for you. You know, because you need to talk about things. It's not, you know, is that everybody, mm-hmm. in the fami- especially in the familial system, has to be part, um, especially with children or young people, is that they have to be part of the process, too. Is that, um, you know, the child can't just recover. The family has to recover. Um, you know, everybody has, you know. As, it's a family disease. Yep. Of, it is a family. Yeah. And, and so if the parents are, you know, just, you know, there as like bystanders. um and I was in my twenties. <laughs> like I was not a, just, I was not in my mind. I was a child, but, um, you know, I was an adult, but, um, you know, my parents had didn't have to, but eventually they saw that the, the way to help me succeed was that they had to go and they had to, um, they also had to be a part of it um, because they didn't know how to help me. Their way of helping me was giving me whatever I needed and, um, you know, enabling me essentially and um so they had to learn how to you know hold me responsible but also you know lift me up and um you know you know it really does need to be um something that everybody in the family does together
0: yeah it's good stuff and i absolutely this is a family disease and get all the help that you can and on this uh uh, right up for this show, I'm gonna be listing some of the the resources that I'm aware of, whether it's A A N A uh Al Anon, adult children of alcoholics, codependency anonymous, you know, those those types of things. And we'll put that out there. But then thank and thanks again for coming on the show. And thank just appreciate you. Yeah. And we're gonna to have to have you back again and talk about some of the other work that you're doing out there in the community because that's that's very, very important. So thank you so much yeah, for coming on. I
1: would love on. to. All right. All right.
0: Thank you. And uh, once again, folks, this episode of Recovery is Possible is brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, where there are endless possibilities for recovery. Retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers, which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to their needs. Retreat Substance Use and Mental Health Treatment Centers in Palm Beach County, Florida, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. So reach out today at retreatbehavioralhealth.com or call at 855 802 six six zero zero for more information and with that folks it is great to have you along for this ride here thanks again to Tatus for sharing her experience strength and hope with us here on recovery as possible and we'll see you next time